to Something to Eat and Something to Read, a podcast all about eating and reading and reading about eating. My name's Jermaine, I'm a psychotherapist and bibliotherapist and here as always with... Hi, I'm Sophie Hansen. <laughs> I'm a food writer and I am from Orange, New South Wales, but I am sitting in Jermaine's studio or study right now in Sydney, which is such a delight to be able to record in person. And I'm actually, I was just looking at your couch. Is This is the therapist's couch. I feel like you should lie down. There's a couch in this beautiful little office. <laughs> just and tell me about your dreams, <laughs> which I know you hate talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I'll pay you to be interested. <laughs> no, we're here to do a mini-sode. Another mini-sode. And after our first mini-sode started with breakfast, skip now lunch. we've skipped lunch <laughs> and we've gone straight to dinner, dinner parties. And Sophie thought about breakfast and I said straight away, we have to do dinners as well because I still remember in the Nikki French um, yeah. book we did in like our second or third episode ever that they talk about food and cooking in their books all the time as a way of trying to lessen a bit of suspense mm. as well as kind of create some more in-depth characters. Nikki French, um, which is a husband and wife team and Nikki Gerard and Sean French I wonder if it's also they love doing uh, dinner party or dinners. There's always like the big sort of denouement happens at dinner, doesn't it? That mm. it, it can go hideously wrong or hideous or, or amazingly right. And it's a way of really showing the characters more than telling the story. And I wonder um, if if that's also why dinners end up becoming like quite a, a central point of a plot sometimes. Totally. Yeah. So, yes, that's all we hear. Two books each, as I said. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny you mentioned Nikki French because I was looking at reading some articles just to get some other ideas about great dinner party scenes mm. and books. And The Guardian was saying that Nikki French's new book, The Lying Room, is all about it starts with a murder at a dinner party mm. and the host cleans everything up and then chaos ensues. Tragedy. So, that's another one for us to maybe read because yes. I thought you introduced me to Nikki French. They're great to listen to, I find, really good audiobooks because they kind of hum along mm. really at a fast pace, which I need when I'm listening. Yeah, that's, actually, that's true. I haven't tried listening to them on audio, but um, they really are page-turning, mm. aren't they? With, and very sort of domestic in that even the book we did, do you remember the flaky croissant? And yes, the, I do, and the strawberry um, jam. And the yes, sun. yeah. Mm. And it really is a way of calming us all down before something yes scarier happens next yeah yeah or I guess on the other flip side at a dinner party if you've got all the characters that are at the table yeah and you know the knives are out or not you know so it's a scene for some great drama I think yes completely so would you like to start with your okay choice well mine is not at all um drama it's more domestic um and just what to cook and I've come back to another favourite of mine, Laurie Colin's Home Cooking, a hat to. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a chapter called Dinner Parties and she starts it by writing, it's a fact of life that people give dinner parties and when they invite you, you have to turn around and invite them back. And often they retaliate by inviting you again and then you must extend another invitation. Back and forth you go like ping pong balls. What you end up with is called a social life. <laughs> And basically she advises us to get ourselves a menu we can cook easily and on repeat. And she says, after you have cooked your dinner party dinner six or seven times, you will be able to do it in your sleep, but your friends will be bored. (laughs) So when you worry you've cooked it enough for your friends, you either find a new repertoire or new friends. So Laurie's two dinner party meals were, and I preface this by saying she wrote in the 80s, chili potato salad, shortbread and ice cream. 
or baked mustard chicken, potato salad, creamed spinach with jalapeno peppers and shortbread and ice cream, both of which sound completely delightful. I'd be happy to have that on repeat. But it, it did make me think, and she writes a lot in this chapter about the stress of dinner parties and, and made me think, why are they such a source of stress in books and film and in everyday life? Mm. You know, and I think possibly closer to home for me at least, I think that idea of a formal dinner party feels mm. quite sort of 70s. And I remember my mum and my grandmother's would really work on a dinner party like for days. Yeah. And, you know, mum was working as well, but she'd set the table the night before beautifully and we weren't allowed to touch it and, you know, everything would be perfect. And it was it was a lot of mm. effort that they put into this incredible three or four course meal with, you know, uvers duvers to start and all the rest of it. And I we don't really entertain like that anymore, thank God. No. <laughs> I know it's I wonder if that's our generation's kind of backlash against watching yeah. our parents doing that because I remember the same thing with the table set night for the best crockery and cutlery yes. and or there'd be strawberries in the house that weren't usually there because they were so expensive and or peppermint um oh peppermint yes. creams those after, after dinner, dinner mints yeah yeah god exactly. help us if we touch them <laughs> and I remember though before children I remember the whole Donna Hay or Marie Claire cookbook yeah phase which would have been towards the end of my being at university yeah, so and, mid-90s, I guess, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember friends, we would do sort of elaborate or try to do elaborate yes. dinners and people would get dressed up. But I don't remember the last time I've been to a formal no. dinner party. Neither. And and possibly that's the phase of life that you mm. and I are both in, you know, kids and work. and. But, you know, I, I don't get me wrong, I love having people over and I love entertaining, but it's just very different, I think. And we do a lot of entertaining outside or lunches mm. or picnics on the farm. Or you have people come and stay, I guess. Or we have people come and yeah. stay. And also in the country, when people come for dinner, yeah, they, stay. they yeah. stay. And so I was saying to Tim, my husband last night, I was talking about this, and I said, I've got this terrible um, admission to make that I think I would entertain more midweek if people left by 9.30 or 10. <laughs> Because, you know, but nobody does in the country. Everyone no. comes and they'll stay till midnight. And, you know, then it's Thursday morning and you've got to, I've got to get Tom to something at 5.30 mm. a.m. and you're tired. Or, so I sound like such a old lady. But I just think these days for me at least my, you know, my dinner party menu is not Laurie Collins. Although I do love the idea of shortbread and ice cream. I think that sounds Yeah, so that's interesting, isn't it? I hadn't thought of that. Because you could I crumble mean, over the ice cream. Oh, it's like a cookies and cream yeah. kind of um, ice cream. I don't know, a little bit of chocolate sauce. Um, um, she's fond of the potato salad, though, isn't loves she? The potato Both salad. those uh, yeah. recipes. Yes, she does love potato salad, and I, she said start with salad and build from there with your ah. repertoire. But I do think she has a great point, you know, because we it is lovely to have people over for dinner. You don't have to do the whole shebang. We don't do that mm. anymore. Light a candle, put some flowers in a jar, put fruit on the table, but do have. I think having a repertoire takes all mm. the angst out. And for me, it's pretty much always. Focaccia, I love. I do love making focaccia. Or you buy it. Uh, I would do cheese and some nuts and some fruit for a start, and then I would always do like a big slow cooked thing, mm. so easy, and like a grainy salad and maybe a roast veggie salad. And for dessert, I think generally I always go for chocolate mousse. I just think Yum. it's in the fridge, mm. it's done. You can plonk it in the middle of the table with some bowls, a little jug of cold cream. Yeah, heaven. So I think that Laurie has good advice for us just to have a back pocket of repertoires. You don't have to do the same thing every time. But I think, yeah, take the stress away. And I think we should just do it more because it doesn't have to be a big yeah. performance, I don't think. 
Yeah, I was, I was just thinking I wonder if the performance element comes now we'll tend to go to a restaurant with friends Yeah, for that kind of fine dining, fine dining stuff. Yeah, stuff. possibly because maybe Rather it than... just wasn't our parents didn't they didn't go to fine dining restaurants. No. Uh, well, not that I do as a matter of course. but No, no, I guess more a special occasion thing mm. too. But, but, yeah, otherwise it's much more casual, isn't mm. it? I think standards have, standards have just generally dropped. Mm. You know, I think if my grandmother would never have left the house looking like I do right now, you know, I'm looking <laughs> like scruffy. More than presentable No, right but, now. you know, she always had the bag matching her yeah. shoes. She always looked amazing. Her hair was perfect. Yeah, I think we've just kind of relaxed everything <laughs> quite a lot. It's I'm not wearing our boots. That's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just in socks, but anyway. Um, before anyway. we move on, I would love to know, do you have a dinner party meal that you roll out I think, regularly? Um, uh, definitely something that's already prepared. So yeah. I was thinking that what have we done recently and it has been a curry or a couple of curries and or some kind of slow-cooked stew in winter or that kind of thing. That Because yeah. I find because you know how I am with recipes so I find to have people in the kitchen with me and I'm going to miss something or um, I can't seem to do both at once so I like it's already prepared and ready to just be put back on the stove or it's already in the oven and just needs to come out so but actually your curry your Korma curry from Ingle Company yeah yeah I've done that a few times now yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) for dinner for six it's very uh, (laughs) highly recommend it oh yeah, well, I do think a curry, and everybody loves a curry, yeah, and you can you check it sides. out with all the sides. Yeah, and make it feel like And go to your work. local Asian grocery and buy some yummy roti yeah. and make it all, yeah, just think, make it easy. I think the days of feeling you you are on show and your children, well, I remember we'd all have to come yes. and say goodnight to all the guests. Yep. And I have to say it did sound like they had a great time. It was very, yeah. They were very late nights. And they, yeah, and, that's right. They certainly weren't leaving at 10 o'clock. No. <laughs> Back in the just, 80s. That's my weekday thing. I don't mind if people stay past 10 o'clock on weekdays. <laughs> Oh, no one's ever going to come to our house ever again. Okay, what's your dinner party? Well, it's, before I go into my choice of book, though, I know I put on the uh, Easter newsletter the link to Laurie Colwyn's missing short story. I've saved it to read and I haven't read oh, it yet. Yeah, well, good. I think you're, yeah, you're really, I'll we'll pop it back in the it. show notes too. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a great story. Gosh, and again, well. yeah. Actually, potato salad comes up in it. Now you said that with your quote. Yes, it's called Even Song. And it is about this woman who ends up having an affair with actually the two couples are really good friends or neighbours and um, she has an affair with the husband. It's not that they have dinner together, but she brings him leftovers from the dinner the night before that she shares with her husband and daughter. So there's this whole kind of like... Yes, exactly. So, again, the food is used as this kind of like sharing a husband because or making sure the tastes all align or whatever, Mm. but... When she starts feeling guilty about it, she says, in the fridge I had leftover stew, eggplant and pepper, conserve and rice salad. Oh, no potato salad there. Mm -hmm. I wish Louis had not been my lover so that I could have the luxury of sharing leftovers in a guilt-free atmosphere with an old friend. (laughs) So, again, like how food mixes or stands in with emotions or an emotional atmosphere. Handy tool for the writer, I, I think. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, you'll enjoy, I'm sure you'll enjoy her short story. Yes. But my um, my first choice for a dinner party story is actually a book I read over Easter as well, Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. It's not really like The Paper Palace. I mean, people compare it, but I think it's more because it's contemporary New York, very wealthy I thought it was family. Australian for some reason. Ah, no, yeah, no, okay. it's Brooklyn actually. Yeah. And it's about this 
family who are you know, huge inherited family wealth from real estate business from hundreds of years ago and it's focused more on the children of that family who are all in their 30s mm-hmm. 20s and 30s and it's got some really interesting questions in there around inherited wealth and what it's actually like to be a trust fund kid or how many assumptions I suppose are made if you're already wealthy or how little understanding of the real world you may have or do you think you have or how do you break out of that or not is kind of the the theme so it kind of goes into each of the kids Mm. stories um but the family are a very close family they all live within these different streets pineapple street orange street and they're all named after fruits Mm. and it's jenny jackson lives on pineapple street i think and then she wrote this book she's apparently a very um i say apparently because i hadn't heard of her before but she's a a very famous editor of um or very an editor of very famous authors and then during the pandemic she started writing her own book book her book she wanted to read which was this which was actually started by reading an article about trust fund kids trying to give away their money not wanting anything to do with inherited family mm. fortunes so that was sort of the idea but so this family meet for dinner every week and that's fine when it's your immediate family, but what is it when you're the in-laws and how do you fit into this kind of family dynamic? And so there's a son and two daughters and the son has married a woman who is not from old money and is actually not really from much money at all. So there's already this kind of assumption that, well, the sisters think she might be a gold digger or, and actually she's obviously the character you end up liking the most, <laughs> but she has, the in-laws over for dinner just soon after they get back from their honeymoon and they're just married. And so I'll start reading. When Sasha and Cord had been in the house for three weeks, Sasha invited her in-laws to dinner. I'll make mushroom tarts and a goat cheese salad, she said in the email. She spent all morning rolling pie dough and even walked to the fancy market on Montague for pomegranate seeds to sprinkle over baby lettuces. She vacuumed the dining room, dusted the bookshelves and put a sancerre in the fridge. When her in-laws arrived, they had three L.L. Bean canvas bags in tow. Oh, you didn't have to bring anything, Sasha exclaimed, dismayed. Sasha, her mother-in-law, trilled, opening the closet to hang her Chanel boucle jacket. We can't wait to hear all about your honeymoon. She carried the bags into the kitchen and proceeded to pull out a bottle of white burgundy, two flower arrangements in low vases, a tablecloth with fleur-de-lis on it, and three scalloped Williams-Sonoma baking dishes with lids. She lined them up on the counter and, like a woman at home in her kitchen of 40 years, opened up the cabinet to take down a glass for her wine. I've made mushroom tarts, Sasha tried, suddenly feeling like the lady at the Costco free sample table trying to sell warm cubes of processed cheese. (laughs) Oh, I saw your email, darling. I gathered that meant it was a French-themed dinner. You just let me know when you're 10 minutes away and I'll pop my cocovan in the oven. And and so on it goes. Poor Sasha. Um, I know, but out of solidarity, Cord ate the tart and the salad. But when Sasha caught him looking longingly at the end, though, she gave him a thin smile that said, you can eat the damn vegetables, but you might have to sleep on the couch. <laughs> That's great. And, I like that. Yeah, like, Mother-in-law sounds formidable. Yeah. <laughs> and actually this book has the, the dinner, a dinner at the end that kind of, I won't say anything more. But that often happens That's, in books, doesn't mm. it? Like it, they kind of begin and end sometimes with this, this sort of, grand scene at the table like yeah. I think of atonement you know in yes the, where the dinner party is the beginning of this series of very yeah. unfortunate events mm. yeah, yeah okay so my second one is the only Virginia Woolf 
book I've ever read, actually, uh-huh. To the Lighthouse. And have you read it? Yes, yeah. So that dinner party scene at the end of uh, Chapter 7, The Window, that part of the book at the beginning, I loved how this, there was so much disappointment and angst and chaos. You know, World War One was looming mm. and all these characters had so much going on. Um, but somehow when everyone settles at the table and the candles are lit, Mrs. Ramsey, one of our main characters, you know, she she no longer notices the shabbiness of her room and the bowl of fruit inspires Lily, who was a painter's composition, and the smell and the taste of this much anticipated dish, a, a, I can't pronounce it, beef on daube, beef oh, yes. basically, a boeuf on daube, which the poor hardworking cook, you know, had spent three days crafting and and I, I thought about how does she keep it hot for that huge big table of people and carrying it mm. up and because and, it was steaming hot and it just seems to calm and lift this very troubled group. Mm. And, you know, Mrs Ramsey was such an orchestrate. You know, she was a conductor of, of lives. She arranged marriages. She kept the family in order. And, you know, she found herself, you know, in this, this one moment where things all was well because of this meal and she says, life stands still here. And I think sometimes mm. when you are at the table and everyone's eating something you have made or in her case the cook's made um, on her orders <laughs> <laughs> and you do feel like all is well and you just want life to stand still and you look around and everyone's eating and you don't have a pile of dirty dishes yet. It's You're in that moment of good food and smell and candles. I, I really, it's, I don't know if I loved reading that whole book because it was mm. quite a it's grief meeting it? one yeah. for me but um, I loved this bit and and they write about the dish, or Virginia Woolf writes about the dish, an exquisite scent of olives and oil and juice rose from the great brown dish as Martha, with a little flourish, took the cover off. The cook had spent three days over that dish and she must take great care, Mrs Ramsay thought, diving into the soft mass to choose a specially tender piece for William Banks. And she peered into the dish with its shiny walls and its confusion of savoury brown and yellow meats and bay leaves and its wine. Mm. Um, anyway, it makes me want to make that dish um, yeah, I'll use Julia Child's recipe <laughs> from Julia and Julia. Another great book with lots of dinner parties in it. That's true. That's <laughs> true. But that's something that's very moving. That line, "Life stands still," isn't it? It's isn't trying it? to capture that yeah. moment of not. Yeah. And don't you think you felt that? Or like just yeah. recently, we've had we've all had our kids home for holidays, mm. and actually the other night we had this really nice dinner up on the hill. We had the table up there, and we had lamb shanks and fried potatoes, and everyone was happily eating. It was a good meal, and I felt. I was. I really wanted to say those exact words. It really. Um, yeah. Anyway, they've stayed with me. <laughs> yeah. So you actually were able to capture it because oh, I was thinking about this podcast and I was thinking about that line and and yeah. even reading that book, which was so difficult. Mm. You know, like it was heavy there because was... life doesn't stand still, does it? Basically? No, it doesn't. Yeah. And it, I guess it never does. But um, okay, over to you. My next thought was uh, a Carol Shields book, mm-hmm. and a Carol Shields is a Canadian author and sort of wrote. Most I think in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I only discovered her about 10 years ago, but I was amazed when I read her books that are also just about the domestic and everyday life, how they I still related to, even though these women were women in the 70s or 60s, the stage of life of, of children and marriage and things and trying to find yourself within your family and Mm. I I guess this is why these are universal kind of themes or emotions actually yeah. don't age or change. So it doesn't matter what era you live in, all these emotions sort of feel and stay the same. And so this book, Small Ceremonies, the main character in it, Judith, is actually a biographer. 
I really loved it because it's something that you've been saying that night on the hill of just looking at everything and trying to take a snapshot. She feels that that's sort of all she does. She's the watcher and, and, and that's actually her role in life, being a biographer. And, and there's this great line of the task of the biographer is to enlarge on available data. Thus I peered into the cupboard thinking, tell me what a man eats and I will tell you who he is. Mm-hmm. There were so many choices in here of like, scenes of food a dinner and it was actually really hard to choose one so but I have chosen one (laughs) sorry um and I think I've chosen that one that the thing because this struck me when I first read it before I even was thinking about food in books or anything um this is what the one that's sitting out the shape of books is sort of what stayed with me it's almost dark now when we sit down to dinner Meredith has found some candles in the cupboard, bent out of shape with the summer heat but still usable, so that now our dinners are washed with candlelight. I make pot roast, which they love, and mashed potatoes. In the evening, the children have their homework. Martin goes over papers at his desk or reads a book, sitting in the yellow chair, his feet resting on the coffee table as he hums. Richard and Meredith bicker lazily. Husband, children, they are not so much witnessed as perceived flat leaves which grow absently from a stalk in my head, each fitting into the next, all their curving edges perfect. So far, so far. It seems they require someone, me, to watch them, otherwise they would fall apart and disintegrate. I watch them. They are as happy as can be expected. What is the matter with me, I wonder? Why am I always the one who watches? Mm. So, yes, it's a book obviously about, again, sort of a midlife kind of what, what am I here for? Why am you know, where am I going? Kind of book. Um, but not heavy or depressing, just really thoughtful. Thoughtful. Yes. Very I introspective. Love the name, small ceremonies. Yes. Gorgeous name for a book. And actually that is based on food as well, the small ceremonies. Yes. Uh, they talk she talks to her daughter talks about remembering, you know, oh, the son says I like garlic bread better. Um, he is sour with love and cannot will not be civil. We had that last Sunday, Meredith says, helping herself to butter. Always methodical, she keeps track of small ceremonies. For us, Sunday high tea is a fairly recent ceremony. Um, Goes into that. But, yes, it's related to those small ceremonies involving food and family. Yeah, Mm. which, uh, yeah, I'm so fascinated Which actually are everything, aren't they? Mm, The small things are actually what make up your life. Uh, Totally. Um, And... Every meal is a little ceremony, isn't it? You know, we're breaking bread together, mm. we're talking, mm. we're, these are the patterns of our families, I mm. suppose. I love that. Um, so my other two quick ones of note, because I'm sneaking them in, is it's got to be Bridget Jones's Blue Soup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Truly disastrous. Oh, my God, party. that turkey curry. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. And then also um, Still Life, you know, which mm. we, we've done on the podcast, Sarah Winman's. There's some really beautiful scenes around a table those Christmas mm. I think Christmas in the I think it was at the 60s they there's this beautiful meal that um Cressy made for them and she Sarah Winman when we we interviewed her for the podcast she was saying how food is emotional yeah I think those scenes where all the characters that are at the table are my favorite in that book which is also a favorite of mine so. yeah yeah and again they're really disparate characters and mm. yet they all come together around the table and become like a family yeah yeah and I do think that when you feed people or when you're being fed with other people it is such a it's a leveler but it also just 
calms everybody mm. you know especially like if you're in a work retreat or something and everybody's at, once you've had a meal together mm. somehow the dynamic shifts and people are a lot more relaxed maybe feel a little bit closer to each other yeah so I think I think that the dinner table without the stress of the dinner party is yes um, a powerful thing <laughs> definitely yeah all right well we are at the end of our second mini-sode we hope you've enjoyed listening and we would love to hear what um dinner party scenes mm. you have enjoyed in books please share them with us wherever you interact with us whether it's instagram or over on our Substack, and we will share all the books and the links to things we've mentioned with our beautiful subscribers and letters we need letters yes we need letters for our full episodes so yeah please send them either yeah through the newsletter or direct message on instagram or yep. to our emails which are on the newsletter as well yeah all right well thank you for listening and thank you so much christy reading for editing the podcast so beautifully and as we'll always. be back soon yeah bye see you next time have dinner party. yeah <laughs>
just a small town lady trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world. I'm just a small town woman trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world.